Me and my twin brother, we came home one day and everything in the house was gone. My grandpa, he was the first black hotel owner in St. Louis. So we stayed out in our cars, right? It was about five hours away from our house. Drove like 12 hours out to Chicago and delivered these packages and got a call back. I would look over in Silicon Valley and I would see people very calm, relaxed, and their companies are worth billions of dollars. This new generation, they have not been in a physical bank location. We started StoreCash because my nephew called me and was asking me for money. My co-founders are amazing. They just do what they need to do. I do not think that people are racist in Silicon Valley. I just think that they haven't seen it from us. You are normally right and believe in yourself. Don't second guess, move fast. You never know who's going to be helpful. What's up, Unfound Nation? Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Founders Unfound. That was Derekis Relaford, founder and CEO of StoreCash, a company that provides mobile banking for teens, as well as for unbanked and underbanked adults. Derekis is the twin son of a mom in the military. And as you just heard, he came home one day as a kid to find that his dad had taken everything from the house. Since that fateful event, Derekis has been on an entrepreneurial journey that's gone from cutting lawns to building a fintech startup in Silicon Valley. Along the way, he's had to persevere through college, hustle his first company into getting promotion by Steve Harvey, to landing roles with Google, Facebook, and Apple in Silicon Valley. Derekus has a great story you'll want to listen in. Our episode is sponsored by Trajectory Startup, Ideation to Product Market Fit. This is a brand new book by entrepreneur and investor Dave Parker. This publication is the playbook for those at the earliest stages of the startup journey, or even if you're just contemplating the jump to entrepreneurship. This resource could save you literally years of time on your path. To get Dave's book today, look for a link in the show notes or simply go to dkparker.com, amazon.com, or anywhere you buy your books. Before we continue, please make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, drop us a review on Apple or podchaser.com. Now on with the episode, stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented and underestimated backgrounds. This is the latest episode in our continuing series on founders of African descent. I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Derekus Relaford, founder and CEO of StoreCash, a company that provides a mobile bank for teens and adults, allowing them to earn cash back at over 350 major retailers and along the way, learn financial literacy. Welcome to the show, Derekus. We're super excited to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Awesome. It's nice to be here. Before we get started into who you are, let us step into what is exactly StoreCash. Can you tell us quickly what what is StoreCash? StoreCash is a way for teens and adults to allow them to request and instantly use funds directly from their phones. We started StoreCash because my nephew called me and was asking me for money. So I told him to download Venmo, like we always do, our cash app, and I'll send it over to him. And I later found out he not only needs to be 18 years or older, but he also needs a bank account in order to receive and use those funds. 
Uh, and then later we found out there are over 56 million unbanked adults that don't have a way to receive or use funds directly from their phones. So that's when I started looking at solutions and we found a way to allow teens to do this via the mobile device and also these unbanked adults to provide a better way for them to not just learn financial literacy, but to also give them major discounts back at these retailers. I love it. And I'll tell you something. I'm an old dog, long in the tooth. 20 years ago, just about 20 years ago, I worked on this for an incubator. Wait, this is before PayPal. And we saw the need then. And so it's amazing that there's still that sort of hole in the market. So I'm, I'm super excited to dig more into store cash and how it works and the rest of the origin story. But let's start off by understanding who Derricus is. Let's, let's hear a little bit about where did you grow up? Do you have brothers and sisters? Tell us a little bit about where you come from. Yeah, so I'm a military brat. <laughs> I actually started entrepreneurship when I was 12. Me and my twin brother, we came home one day and everything in the house was gone. Um, our father, he had a drug addiction. This is maybe the 30th time of them taking everything out of our home to, to feed his drug addiction. So that's when me and my twin brother, we wanted to help our mom. At the time, she was off on a military trip and we just asked our friend to borrow his lawnmower and started mowing lawns. And the summer had just started. By the end of the summer, we had about 3,800. And then we did this whole thing again next summer. Um, we did about 5,200. And that was at about 13. And then we moved and bought a hot dog cart with the earnings that we made from the lawn mowing. Okay, hold on, hold on a second here. You've already told me about all, uh, like more entrepreneurship that most people do in their whole life. And you're still, you're still a young, young person. But I want to go back to that moment when you, I guess you said it happened before, but that moment when you come home and see there's nothing there. I mean, did you think you were robbed or did you kind of know that this is possibly what, what your dad did? Or how did you react to that? We pretty much knew what it was because we had dealt with it all of our lives previously to that moment. We just hoped that, you know, this time our mom, she was on a military trip for a few months and we hoped that he would try to do his part and help out. That day we came home, we we knew we had to do something because my mom, she was trying to do what she could to take care of the family. And we were only 12, but <laughs> we said we were the men of the house. So it was a pivotal moment for us. I can only imagine. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that at that age, you had the maturity and I guess the grasp of like, this needs a solution. Because there's many people in that situation, especially that young would be like, let me go find the system or some other safety net, right? There's many, many possible solutions to that situation. The fact that you decided to be an entrepreneur or you and your brother decided to be entrepreneurial is pretty amazing to me. I don't know. At the time, just wanted to help our mom. We know she had so much that she was trying to do with us. And there was three of us total. I guess went into helping the family mode and, and just tried to help her the best way we could. That's pretty amazing. I'm super impressed. I mean, me as a 12 year old, I was lucky enough to, to do a paper route and that sometimes overwhelmed me. So, <laughs> so you started to talk about sort of this process of mowing lawns and then you started to talk about a hot dog cart. Tell us a little bit more about that. When we mowed lawns for that next two years, with the military, of course, you move. 
and we moved and another company, it was Percern, had was was doing all the lines on the whole military installation at the new location. So that's when we wanted to find something else that we could do and keep us busy. So we then bought a hot dog cart. My mom, we told her we wanted a hot dog cart. She looked on eBay and then uh, we drove like 15 hours to go get this thing and brought it back. <laughs> and we started our first event that was at Stone Soul Picnic in DC and Maryland area. From there, we would do that on the different holidays and events on the weekends. And it did really well, really well. I'm just blown away. I mean, I mean, this is old school, grind it, hustle type entrepreneurship. And to do so, there's some instinct obviously built into one or both of you about this. And this is always a question that comes up when we talk to other founders is like, was this something inside of you waiting to get out or was it nurtured and it emerged? But it's pretty clear that you had sort of this instinct and, and maybe maybe it was out of necessity. But like I said, there's that people could have gone different directions. So that, that's pretty amazing. So were you doing this through high school? Yeah, we did the hot dog carts, which later turned into a concession stand all throughout our high school career, right? We were doing about $6,000 on weekends at different shows that we had went to. It did really well. It was, it was fun. <laughs> One question popped into my mind. It's really interesting is, so having a parent who's in the military, you know, the interesting thing about the military, it totally prepares you in some ways for potentially being an entrepreneur. But at the, at the same time, it's also very rigid, very structured, very, there's a lot of rules and and you follow those rules to the letter. And entrepreneurship almost sometimes is a, is kind of the opposite, right? It's like there is no rules. And so you got to make them up as you go along or find your way through. Was your mother supportive of your entrepreneurial instincts in a way that felt like not just this is great because you're helping the family, but did she support you in a way that was you can keep doing this, like this could be who you are? So earlier years, when we were much younger, my mother, she would sell clothes at boutiques and different things like that. And my grandpa, which of course I never met or real early in my years, he was, he owned a hotel. He was the first black hotel owner in St. Louis. Ah, there it is. So it's it. It's in the DNA. It's in the blood. I get it now. Yeah, <laughs> he was pretty big deal in uh, St. Louis, and my mom she had that uh, entrepreneurial spirit, and we always, of course, wanted to kind of get into it after we saw her, and I don't know, it just took off from there. That's awesome. And so, as you were thinking about college or after high school, how did you think about what was next? I mean, did you? Did you think about business? Did you think about, well, this has gotten me to a certain point through growing up and now I'm going to go on to be a doctor or something else? I mean, how did you think about where your life was going to go as you were thinking about college? Coming out of high school, having a single parent, it, it was difficult to pay for, especially both of us, right, to go through college at the same time. So that was part of the reason why we wanted to do the concession stand more towards coming out of college, but we still didn't have enough money. So we uh, went to Penn State and throughout that time, it was difficult to kind of put the funds together for a dorm. So we stayed out in our cars, right? It was about five hours away from our house. So we stayed in our cars for our first semester of college so that we could just go into college because 
We wanted to do entrepreneurship, but we didn't want to go into business. So we had to find a specific direction to kind of go. We went into uh, construction management so that we could have a trade, but also have a management degree along with it. So we went to school in that first year, we, we stayed out in our cars, but then throughout college, a lot of the time we, we did a lot of these different businesses to kind of keep us occupied because when you're not occupied, you get in trouble, right? So <laughs> we wanted to keep ourselves occupied in, in, into something positive throughout college. We then wanted to start another company and about midway through college, we found out what it was. And it was very thinking of women driven, right? <laughs> uh, so we started a chocolate covered strawberry business <laughs> where we shipped chocolate covered strawberries all across the U.S. because we wanted it to be an online business. Did you do this in, in I, at this point, I assumed you had a dorm room. Did you kind of make these in the dorm room or? Well, we were planning out how we were going to do it. And then towards the end, we then started the business more at our home, not in the dorm, more like as we were driving back and forth to our college. We started in Harrisburg and we were driving back and forth to State College. It was fun, but <laughs> it was also a lot of work with college. <laughs> I'm I was about to say, I'm trying to track this. You're commuting essentially and, and start off living in the car, which just blows my mind. You're commuting, you're running a business, which this is not like it's like a social media business where you just do it a couple hours every now and then. This is like, you know, shipping stuff. You're doing college. And I think I saw that you had a couple degrees. So maybe you were doing extra. Did you like get one degree between the two of you and the two, you had 48 hours because the two of you would like inter interchange each other or something? How, how were you able to do all this in college? <laughs> well, I got a total of three degrees, two associates and a bachelor's. My brother got associates, two certificates and a bachelor's. I think we just, we, uh, we, we like to stay busy, I guess, and do as much as we can because we value time. And that's why we like, instead of taking off that year to go into college, we stayed in our cars that first year because we were like, we don't want to take this whole year of our lives and we know what we need to do and not do that. So if this is what we have to do, we need to do it so that we can get out of college and, and get, get on with our lives. I think that we just packed a lot of stuff in <laughs> as much as we could to get it done and over with. It's impressive for sure. And I, I'm definitely seeing a theme of both practicality and resilience married with looking ahead, looking to the future and being mindful of where you're going, which sometimes it's hard to do both of those at the same time, to get your head down and up at the same time. Tell me a little bit. I know that the chocolate covered strawberry business actually did pretty well. Tell us a little more about that. So we started with about 25000 and that was towards our senior year, our, our fourth year of college, as our senior year, fourth year of college. And when we got out of school, that's when we really started trying to ramp up. That 25000 went like that. And we thought it was a lot of money at the time. It was not a lot of money at all. We got about 250000 in inventory, started the website, and it was gone. I try to find some cool, creative ways to uh, market the company. I found a way to get in touch with the CEO of TLC and Discovery. So it was 
you know, I was trying to find a unique way to get her attention at the time and then tried to see if I could use this way in order to get other people's attention. I used our chocolate covered strawberries. I act as if a delivery guy. I delivered this box to four different people in the TLC and Discovery office. And these four different people are four different people that she would normally talk to. I did a lot of research on online. When I sent these boxes out, I didn't tell the other person that I sent boxes to them, but I knew that they would talk. And when they talked, they would find out, and then it would be more of a talking. And well, I hope for that at least. I did that, and I didn't think it worked because it was three weeks later. I heard nothing back, and I said, okay, it didn't work. We need to like move on, right? And figure out like something else. And then I got a call back, and that's all I needed, like that one call back. And that call back got me the confidence to then try this with Steve Harvey show. So me and my twin brother drove like 12 hours out to Chicago and delivered these packages and got a call back. And then- The Steve Harvey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His TV show. And then once we got a call back, we tried it then also with Kiplinger Magazine in, in D.C. I had an inside person there, and they knew when everybody met up, and they met up on Wednesdays, I think, at 11 o'clock. So I delivered it around 1030. And when they all met together at that time, all these boxes came to them. So then we got a front page ad in Kiplinger. So that's how we actually marketed the company to get it kind of brilliant out to people. That's a, that's a perfect example of working smart. I mean, you're still working hard and you could have like sent it to random people in those companies or try to send it to everybody, which would have been expensive, right? But you're very strategic about it. Very guerrilla marketing. I love, I love that. Man, you have some natural abilities. If I was going to write a superhero story about an entrepreneur, I would, I would definitely base it on you. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> what happens with, what was the name of the company again? Tea berries. Tea berries, right. And we called it tea berries because it was like twins and our buddy, his, so you probably know him. His name is LaShawn McCoy, running back for the Eagles. I don't know him, know him, but I know who he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, we went to high school with him and really, really good friends throughout high school. And his nickname for us was Twiggities. We were like, why don't we call it Twiggities? And I was like, Twiggy's berries. And like, that's what we called it. And for sure, it was tea berries. So twins, Twiggy's, it worked out. Nice. Well, we're going to hear more from Derekus in a moment, but we're going to take a short break. And we'll be right back with Derekus Relaford from Storecash. Do you have a startup idea and don't know where to start? Or maybe your startup is not moving fast enough. Well, let me introduce you to my new book, Trajectory Startup which is designed to take you from idea to launch to revenue in just six months. Hi, I'm five-time founder Dave Parker. Trajectory Startup takes the mystery out of the startup process with a straightforward roadmap that includes deliverables, resources, and a timeline. It's a must-read for your entrepreneur journey. But don't take my word for it. Here's my friend Mandela. Hi, this is Mandela Schumacher-Hodge-Dixon, the CEO of FounderGym, the number one online program training underrepresented founders on how to raise capital to scale their tech startups. If there is anything I've learned from building a successful business, it's that having a playbook you can trust matters a lot. 
Fortunately, Dave's superpower is simplifying the complex. And after decades of building, investing in, and studying a vast array of businesses, Dave has transformed his lessons into an easy-to-follow guide. Trajectory Startup is available at dkparker.com, amazon.com, or wherever books are sold. Get it today. So we're back with Derekus. So Derekus, tell us, I know you also spent some time in Silicon Valley. T- tell us about how that happened, because that seemed like a, almost like a detour, but maybe there was a grand plan behind, you know, all this entrepreneurial stuff and then going to Silicon Valley. So t- tell us a little bit about that. So after we built up T-Berries and later exited the company, I always wanted to be in tech. I was like super, super excited about being in tech. And at the time I was like 25, 26. And I said, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So like hopped in my car and drove uh, cross country to Silicon Valley. And I told myself, I said, well, I'll try it out for a summer and see how it goes. But I was hoping that it went well so I could stay. <laughs> you like to drive, huh? Lots, yeah. of, lots of stories <laughs> of driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When military, uh, you kind of get used to it. But then, yeah, I, I got here and start meeting people and talking to people and uh, landed a job at Apple and then got a chance to work at Google. I'm sorry. Apple, Google, and then after that, Facebook. I did data analytics and program coordinating and program management at the different companies and got super lucky because there's uh, so many people that have been trying to work at these companies that are in this area for years. And I I mean, I like to call it luck. (laughs) I got lucky, but got a chance to work at these companies and saw how they operated because I was so confused at how some people, like especially our community, I knew a lot of people that were in business and they worked their butts off, me included, right? And then I would look over in Silicon Valley and I would see people very calm, relaxed, and their companies are worth billions of dollars <laughs> after two, three years. And I'm like, what the heck is going on over there? So I got a chance to like be in, inside and, and see these massive companies and how they operated. And it was like a dream come true. And once I got a chance to see, I started realizing that a lot of these people are getting funds and getting funded by VC firms, getting funded by angel investors. Once they're funded, then they're getting more funds to do more. And they're getting funded because these are high growth potential opportunities. And it was pretty impressive to kind of see it in real time. I also went to like all these like startup events and there was this new company called Tile and they said they're going to take on the world and they were looking for people to join the company. And it's just cool to be able to see these companies and how they, they've grown. Throughout the time, I was working at these bigger companies and my nephew, that's when he texts me and asked me for money. And that's when I told him, you know, download the Mark Cash app. And I later found out he's a teen, he can't. Because he needs to have a bank account, he's under 18. And that then what got my wheels kind of spinning and, and trying to see if I can solve the problem. So first of all, coming to Silicon Valley from a place where you didn't have tech experience, you didn't have tech networks, and successfully navigating into those three companies, 
is somewhat lucky, but it's not 100% lucky. Let me tell you, it's it's about you. But I, what I'm interested to know, though, before we dive into Storecash is when you when you looked at those experiences, you looked at those companies and you saw, you know, from the inside kind of what was going on. Did that encourage you or embolden you to say, I can do this? Or did you already have that in your mind? Like, this is just another kind of perspective that I can bring to my next entrepreneurial journey. I always wanted to start a tech startup, but I wanted to know what these people had that I didn't have. And is that why, you know, I I haven't been able to build a billion dollar company. And then when I realized what it was, I said, I can do this too. But the only problem was at the time there's there was not very many and and still <laughs> black people that are doing this. I was around at least two to three percent, if not just one percent of every company that I was at. And, you know, there was a lot of give me opportunity sitting and, you know, researching who the recruiters were sitting and trying to get them to give me a shot to even, you know, get my first foot in the door. So a lot of it, I guess, wasn't complete luck, but passing the test was was, was pretty difficult. But, you know, it was something to try to find out the secrets. There's always any, any industry or anything that you do, there's there's shortcuts and there's ways to get to where you need to be or where you want to be. But you have to re- do your research to find out what others are doing and how can you shorten up that process. So that was part of going through the steps and, and you know, hopefully getting into these companies and seeing how this whole thing operated. So tell us now, you have this epiphany with your nephew. So how does that translate into, okay, I'm going to start a company to fix this? I had this epiphany with my nephew and I realized that I, I, I needed a team, especially after all the different startup events that I went to. And I only knew a few people. So I started on a journey of trying to find a team. And that was like an impossible journey. I felt like (laughs) trying to find a team that was going to be as devoted and willing to go through the tough times because I knew they were coming (laughs) and looking at the bright side on the other end. So I started looking for, for my team. And at the time, especially with the way rent is here, it's very expensive. So on weekends, I would Uber and when I Ubered, I would also talk to people on, on the rides. It was kind of like a way for me to like meet people and, you know, get people's perspective. And I met some really cool people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Uber's been around long enough because I remember when the, you sit in the front seat and you talk to the driver about what, like, what's going on in their life. And it's not so much as much anymore, a little bit. But isn't that amazing? Now it's been around long enough that it's evolved that way. But that makes a lot of sense that you would, seeing who you are as a person, that makes sense that you'd be inquisitive that way. People here are very awkward. Not in a bad way. They're awkward because they're more socially awkward. Um, Once you start talking to them, then they start talking. But it was a good way to kind of break it up a little bit. And one day I met a guy. His name was Ben Cat. And I remember the ride. And I, I, you know, was talking to him and he was talking back. He was like, oh, so what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, I've been trying to, you know, look for somebody to start a company with. I I, want to build out this company, but, you know, I'm looking for developers. And he was like, 
oh, really? Okay. So what type of developer do you need? I was like, oh, uh, you know, an app developer for Android, iOS, definitely some backend and a few other things. And he's like, oh, so what are you working on? And I started telling him, you know, what I wanted to work on. And he said, well, what makes you think that you can do this? And I said, well, (laughs) (laughs) I said, you know, I've I've done a few things and I've built a few different companies before. And I told him the things that I I did. And he was like, oh, okay, okay. By the end of the ride, he was like, oh my God, you really did do all this. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, oh, I'm looking you up online. You really did do all this. I said, yeah, I wouldn't tell you if I, if I didn't do it, right? And he said, you know what? I think you can actually pull this off. He said, let's talk later. So I talked with him later and he said, let's try to build this thing. So Vin Cat, who's an Indian guy, so he didn't introduce me to his friends. And there's a reason why I say he's Indian, but he introduced me to his friends and he got three or four of his friends to help me build this thing. Then short thereafter, he had to go back to India because of visa issues. And he said, hey, I'm glad that I could help, but you can take it from here. And connected me with all his friends. And we've been moving since. And it's been about two and a half years. And so the rest of my co-founders, they didn't get paid for like a year and a half at least probably around a year and a half to two years. And they kept working and believing in this like dream that I had. So we then got into Techstars and then that's when everything started kind of working itself out. But it was just amazing. Like that one drive got me to this point. So that that's a great story. So let let's let's take a step back and just dive a little bit more into the product and tell us a little bit more. How, how does it work exactly? How does how does Storecash work? Maybe give us an example of how it would be used. First, we started off with market fit, and we had found a way to allow unbanked users to request and instantly use funds via barcodes at these 350 retailers. And we had made back a seven to fifteen percent uh, kickback, and then. This allowed those users to, you know, buy whatever they need to buy at these Walmarts, Targets, Five Guys, any of the 350 major retailers, they, they could do it via a barcode on our platform. And we did it to try to find market fit, to try to find who who's using this, why do they need it, how can we improve the process, whatever. And it all kept coming back to building a bank. So a user would use it a few times and then say, this is amazing, but I need to now put my deposit into my store cash account. How can I do that? And we were like, we don't have those capabilities. So then they would go to Chime and it will always be the majority of teens using this. That's when we said, okay, I think we've pretty much found market fit. We need to build this out and add the banking feature but also now, since we get that 7 to 15% back, we can then give that percentage back to the actual user and incentivize them to get this bank account with us. And that way we can also teach them financial literacy and everything else. So we've built out the banking platform, raising funds, and we'll be launching in about a month. That's awesome. Now, turning into a bank or offering banking I know because I have a fintech business. There's lots of regulations and scrutiny around security and fraud issues you got to face. I guess the first question is, were you expecting all that? Or were you ready for all that? 
when you thought about expanding the platform? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wasn't either when we when we went through it. So. <laughs> so with the barcodes, it was actually worse. And we found a way to solve the solution of fraud by partnering with a company and then using other companies to collect data and come out with an answer of, yes, this is the actual person. And then now with the bank, we'll also get their SSN, which will run a KYC on them. Um, so it'll be even more secure. But at first, no, we, man, we, we were like, oh, we're getting users. And we were not getting users. <laughs> we were getting bad users. <laughs> right. Yeah. They. It's interesting when you have a business that has potential to have holes in it. It seems like the the people who are looking for that jump on it right away because they figure, oh, they're just building this now. They're not even thinking about security yet. And so they, they hop in there and all of a sudden you're like, hey, wait a minute, we're just getting going. Why are you picking on us all of a sudden? And just for our, for our audience, SSN is social security number and KYC is know your customer. And these are terms that in the financial world are, have to do with essentially identifying that you're a real person and that you are who you say you are. So tell us a little bit about the journey into Silicon Valley startup land and hiring people and building team culture and those kinds of things. Have those, have those things been preeminent in kind of what you do as a CEO? Moving here got me to understand a major piece to business and especially working at some of these major companies got me to understand some, some massive pieces within business that I had no clue of. And part of it was how to treat employees, how to treat co-founders, how to treat just people in general. When you, this is more on the East Coast, and I hate to say it, but it's more on the East Coast. But when you think of a boss, you think of a person telling you what to do and making you do this, you need to do this, and micromanaging. And getting to work at some of these bigger companies, and some of these companies that are hiring, you know, these Stanford grads and these Harvard grads, the difference is that they treat you more like a peer, more so than a boss. And it actually makes you do more work and better work because it's on you at that point. Your boss didn't tell you. They're saying, we trust you. We believe that you'll be able to pull it off. Good luck. And you kind of go at it and, and figure it out. And then, of course, if you need help, they'll help you. But it, it was a different way of, of interacting with coworkers, managers. Actually, there is no word of boss in Silicon Valley. It's managers. That got me to understand that you don't need to be a butthead <laughs> in order to get things done. <laughs> you can just be an easygoing person. If you get responsible people and good people, they'll do their job. My co-founders are amazing. They just do what they need to do. And I do what I need to do. And it's like four of me, <laughs> more so than me telling them exactly what to do. And yeah, there was, you know, a little bit of learning curve when we started off because we need to understand and learn from each other. But since then, it's been awesome. So I learned that piece of business here and in, in how to treat employees and how to treat co-founders. And that's been a part of how I wanted our 
culture to be at StoreCache. And, and one thing, you know, with our previous company that I wanted to change with StoreCache is when a person does something or does something good or even just does what they're supposed to do, say something positive. And if a person makes a mistake, help them fix it, but also tell them something positive that they did while trying to do it. And that's that culture that I really want to create with StoreCache so that you feel good when you come to work. You don't feel like it's a job. You feel like, hey, if I do this really well, someone's going to say something positive. And of course, I want that, so I'm going to do it really well. And no one's going to micromanage me. They're going to tell me you know, what they think I should do. And yeah, sometimes I override and I say, we need to do this. But overall, they have their creative opportunity to be as creative as they want at StoreCache. And that has been pivotal for me because <laughs> I'm very edge that corner off and, and change this and change that. Now it, I actually learning a lot more than, than I used to being a not know-it-all, but know-it-all. And then I'm actually learning, oh, hold up a second. There might be something here and I, I need to listen. That's a great approach. And, and it's thank you for sharing about the evolution. I think I went through that too of the irony and the paradox of like, if I don't try to do it all myself and make all the decisions myself, which I think it makes it more efficient, it's the opposite. If you, if you empower people and give them both accountability and then like you're talking about encouragement and make them feel joy about what they're doing and the journey. They get a heck of a lot more done than you can do on your own. <laughs> Plus, they bring new ideas and diverse perspectives. So I think that's super healthy. And, you know, one of the keys, I think, to success for a lot of startups is how you build the culture, particularly when the company's early, so that people are emulating the way you want to do it. So, but we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back with Derek S. Relaford from StoreCash. Do you have a startup idea and don't know where to start? Or maybe your startup is not moving fast enough. Well, let me introduce you to my new book, Trajectory Startup, which is designed to take you from idea to launch to revenue in just six months. Hi, I'm five-time founder Dave Parker. Trajectory Startup takes the mystery out of the startup process with a straightforward roadmap that includes deliverables, resources, and a timeline. It's a must-read for your entrepreneur journey. But don't take my word for it. Here's my friend Mandela. Hi, this is Mandela Schumacher-Hodge-Dixon, the CEO of FounderGym, the number one online program training underrepresented founders on how to raise capital to scale their tech startups. If there is anything I've learned from building a successful business, it's that having a playbook you can trust matters a lot. Fortunately, Dave's superpower is simplifying the complex. And after decades of building, investing in, and studying a vast array of businesses, Dave has transformed his lessons into an easy-to-follow guide. Trajectory Startup is available at dkparker.com, amazon.com, or wherever books are sold. Get it today. So we're back with Derekus. Well, before we move on to some other topics, tell us, what's your big vision for StoreCash? If, if you're going to say StoreCash is a wild success in some number of years or whenever you, you can have that sort of big success, what does that look like for you? What would that, what would that feel like? It would be very similar to Venmo and Cash App, just in the teen and unbanked adult space. And I think we all can agree that banks are not going to be physical locations within the next decade, easily. Banks are kind of going out as we speak, right? <laughs> and these neo banks 
are going to be the new bank for adults. Now, the thing about it is, is the adults that are already connected with some of these physical bank locations will stay at those locations most likely. But this new generation that's coming up, they have not been in a physical bank location, at least for the last five to 10 years. So we believe that this is a massive opportunity to not just provide an opportunity for these teens and then these unbanked adults, but to provide a new way to bank in the space. And I know other people are in the space, but I also believe that with the amount of discounts that we're able to get at these major retailers and how the people that are unbanked, how they're lower income individuals and how teens need to know, especially in our community, more financial literacy. I believe that it's touching a lot of key points that allows us to be popular in these uh, different categories and sectors. Nice. I love it. Great vision. Yeah. Aiming high. And you're right. We're in a revolutionary, if not at least evolutionary time when physical branches and clerks and people who move paper back and forth, it's all going away. And the good news is, as you said, it's not just about like it's more cost efficient to do digital. It's like the next generation, they don't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to go stand in line at some bank during their lunch hour just to, you know, cash a check or whatever. So, So I think you're right on, right on the money. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your journey as a black founder. One question I have, you know, you talked a little bit about being in Silicon Valley and how you're, you know, you were part of a small representation in the bigger companies you were with. How do you feel about so stepping out as a black founder? Do you feel like that that's something that you're reminded of in a way that makes it feel like it's a uh, an extra challenge on a, on a regular basis? Or is that something that you don't think about day to day? I like the way you worded that because it's both. So as a, a black founder, being black in tech, so California, of course, is very inclusive, just place. But I think we need to get better at naming things for what they are as, as just black people. And I do not think that people are racist in Silicon Valley. And well, I'm sure there is a group, right? But the majority, I don't think that they're racist. I just think that they haven't seen it from us. And if I'm standing in a room of 10 white guys, and then there's just me, that one black guy, and all of these guys are Harvard, right? Um, all of these guys are from these massive schools, right? And, and my credentials exceed all of them. And the rest of the team is white. Who are you going to pick? I have nine times out of 10, you're probably not going to pick me and probably even more than that. So you have to find a unique way to either acknowledge that, get the other person to see that, or find a unique way to stand out amongst them. And if you were, for example, looking for a rapper, right? And there was nine black guys and one white guy, (laughs) which one are you gonna cheat? And this is the part that's messed up about the U.S. and just stereotypes and, and, and everything in the U.S. It's a problem, but it's also good for you to understand how it operates so that you can understand how to overcome it. And if you screen racist, then it is a standoff term for these people. And then they say, oh, well, I'm not racist. I don't like his attitude. Boom, you're already out. 
Like, so the way I kind of approach it, and which is funny how I approach fundraising, when I was talking to investors, I, I told all of them, I said, hey, I know I'm raising funds. I know you've never seen me before. Probably anyone Black, you've probably never funded before. I said, but these are my credentials. And I just need an opportunity. If I get an opportunity, you'll be able to see something that you've never been able to see before. And it's funny, that whole conversation that I would normally have with my investors is why a lot of my investors invested in me and gave me a shot. And you know, to this day, I think that they're happy with me. <laughs> I know my tech stars investor, he actually told me no at the beginning. And I told him this, you know, I said, I don't think, I think it's unconscious bias that's happening due to not being able to see this actually happen in you know the black community but be that person that makes the change and gives me that opportunity and I won't take it for granted you know I'm going to work 10x harder than everybody else and then he gave me that opportunity and from there expanded from there that's pretty interesting. So we should try and unpack that a little bit. So, you, so you brought it to his attention. It was it him? Yes. Uh, you brought it. You brought it to his attention. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that they would agree or buy into it. Like, what? How did you? How did you help to illuminate that for him in a way that said, "This is unconscious bias, and here's here's how it's manifested itself." Not just the fact that I I got a either quick no or a no when I don't didn't really think I was less than some of these other folks. How did you show him that? Because this is something that a lot of people struggle with, and like. You said it's hard for us sometimes to be the ones to have to call things out because then you can get sort of this label of you know rabble rousing or whatever which is ridiculous but it is what it is so i'm just curious if you want to share any like how did you help him see that so i got a whole bunch of no's fyi <laughs> i got a million no's and to be quite honest one of our top competitor is a person that i was talking to about my idea and he he ran off and raised almost $200 million on it. <laughs> so it's here. It is here. It's, you know, the, these issues are there. You know, when I first got here, I was very frustrated with a lot of things. And, you know, when you get frustrated, you want to combat them with frustration, which can be perceived as anger. And you already know, they assume Black people are angry, and then it gives them exactly what they thought, and then it backfires all of them. So when I first got here, there was a lot of a lot of that from me, myself, and my frustrations. And then I said, okay, what I have to do, and I know I'm kind of a little bit all over the place here, but it, it's, it was an eye-opener for me, myself. I said, what I have to do is I have to act like the things that have happened in my life never happened. And I have to live as if I'm from a wealthy background and everything in my life is okay. And I think that I can trick people and not trick, trick, but trick people into believing that I'm one of them, just darker skin tone. And if I do that successfully, then all I have to do is overcome the unconscious bias. And everything that I try to look at in my life, I try to look at it as strategically as possible because it normally helps me get through the difficult parts. That was the first step. But when I got the, um, I don't know, I just don't know why, but I, I, I don't think it's going to work for us. Those answers are the ones that I turned to the yeses. And those were the answers of, I like this guy, I like what he's doing, but I just don't know. I just don't think that it's going to work. And the don't think it's going to work 
is that unconscious bias because like to get a person to say yes to a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars you need to have a yes 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 right and getting a yes 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 and then a no normally comes from that unconscious bias so if you can explain that to them and then they can understand it and then i would always ask i would say is there anything that is a yes or is there anything that's a specific reason why you said no and if it isn't then it's unconscious bias and you've got to give me opportunity and that is how i would get past that little hurdle man you are you are a courageous warrior that takes a lot to step out on that plank because you never know <laughs> how people will react to that. So let's switch the question around a little bit. I mean, you've obviously been successful. We, we, we've already identified that you have planet Krypton blood in you and you're, you're, you've got superpowers. But t- talk about, have there been people, organizations, events, experiences that have been uplifting or helpful for you as a Black founder? I'm going to be honest. I've had maybe I can count on my hand about you know, a small amount of people that that helped me out throughout this tough time to figure this whole thing out. One was a guy named Lester. He was Asian. He just met me because another lady that helped me out and uh, she was a white lady and he helped me formulate how I should do this whole thing and then helped me along the steps. And he had raised a total of like $3.7 million and, and was just so darn helpful. Even said, hey, you want to work out of our office, you know, because I know you didn't raise funds. So that's why it's hard for me to say, you never know who's going to be helpful, right? Even with Techstars, there was a person that was just hired for a diversity and inclusion. And the previous program, because I, I applied for Techstars, maybe three or four times, if not one more. And I had told him, I think the previous one was unconscious bias. And he then helped me find the person that got me into the actual program that I actually got into. And he was a black man, so he was just awesome. Um, He actually left Techstar since, but he was awesome. And then I think the rest were white and Asian people. And then Marlon. Marlon Nichols, he heard my story. He invested a half a million dollars in, into me and our team. Yeah, can't thank him enough. Marlon is awesome. But William over at Mucker Capital, he's the first investor outside of uh, Techstars that, that invested in Techstars, Ethan. It's a mix. It's a mix of, I think, two Asian, you know, white lady, uh, two white guys, two black guys. So you never know where it comes from. And, and you can't, you know, one thing in our community is we, at least from in my family, we assume anything else, anybody outside of our community is probably out to get us. And it was hard for me because I didn't know who was trying to get me, who wasn't trying to get me and what was going on. But, you know, that was another thing about coming out here. It opened up my eyes to see that anybody can be helpful and uh, help you get to where you need to go. So just be open, I guess, and I hope for the best. 
it's great that you identify that people can come from different places and it's about their willingness, their attitude, their, in my opinion, their recognition of somebody worth betting on in your case. So uh, we had such a great conversation here, but we're coming to the end of our time. So one of the things we always like to ask is is sort of this proverbial question, if you could go back before you were an entrepreneur. But since you were an entrepreneur at a very early age, we'll say, if you could go back to before you started StoreCash and talk to that Derekus and say, here's some things to think about, to definitely do or definitely not do or perspectives to have, what kind of advice would this Derekus give that Derekus? Believe in yourself. I know this sounds super cocky, but you are normally right. And believe in yourself. Don't second guess. Move fast. And I was going to say be more more appreciative of people along the way. But I'm so, I think people, they say, I, I say thank you too much. So I think I'm pretty appreciative, but I even want to be more appreciative because it's tough. I love it. And you're so right. I mean, and, and, and unfortunately, that that's part of it, right? We When we get to look backwards, we can say, yeah. We spent a month thinking about that, and I had the idea five minutes after we decided to do it. <laughs> Why didn't I see that? Well, we uh, Unfound Nation out there, our audience wants to know ways that we can be helpful for Store Cash. What, are there ways that we can be helpful to you or to the company? Yeah. If you know someone that has a team and or someone that's unbanked, um, doesn't have a bank account, tell them about Store Cash. You can join the wait list now. You can earn cash by joining the wait list. And then when we launch, you know, you can redeem those funds and get started with one of our bank accounts. And you want to share your uh, URL or social handles or other ways to find out more about StoreCash? Yeah, you can type StoreCash into uh, Android or iOS Marketplace or StoreCashApp.com is our URL. And then you can learn all of what you need to learn about StoreCash. And we're excited about our launch and looking forward to anyone that wants to join our beta. If you join early enough, we'll be asking uh, if you want to join the beta. And, and also, you know, our massive launch for everybody should be in about two months. So yeah, either one will be awesome. And looking forward to seeing you and hearing from you. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much, Derek. This has been an awesome conversation. Thanks for making the time. Thank you, too. We'd like to thank our guest, Derekus Relliford, and our sponsor, Dave Parker, and his new book, Trajectory Startup. This podcast was produced by yours truly and edited by We Edit Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or simply go to foundersunfound.com forward slash listen to. That's listen to. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Founders Unfound. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.